Maybe if you're like some of my family members, you collect cups. You've seen those cabinets full of mugs from all sorts of different locations. Every time they go on a trip, they've got to purchase a different one, right? You've seen that. Then we have different types of cups for kids. We have sippy cups, different types of bottles, ways to drink water, ways to drink their milk or uh, juice or whatever the case might be. One time I went to a store that was exclusively for left-handers in San Francisco. Had left-handed notepads where the spiral or the binding was on the opposite side. I happen to be left-handed and can appreciate that. But I walked out of there, it was a special cup. It was a left-hander's mug, only to be used by the left hand. You might wonder, well, how is that possible? Well, it had some holes that were on a certain side of the cup. They were on, if you're holding it with your left hand, they, the, the holes were on the opposite side. So as you, as you tip the cup, as a left-hander, you could drink just fine. But if you were to turn it around as a right-hander and tip the cup, it the, the water would exceed the level of those holes and it would spill on you. I gave it to my mom who's also left-handed. I thought she'd appreciate left-hander's cup. All sorts of different cups and glasses that we drink from sometimes. The Bible is no different. It's filled with different types of cups. It uses the term cup in a lot of different ways as a metaphor. And we could, we could summarize them into two different groups. There's a cup of blessing, and there's a cup of cursing. You think about Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. As you go through the, the psalm, at the very end, there's a cup. Because David says, my cup runs over. It's running over with the blessings and the goodness and the joy of God. There's the cup of salvation that David mentions other places in the Psalms. Cup is used to represent the blessings of God, his benefits in our life. In John chapter 4, Jesus had that discussion with the woman at the well. He was asking her for literal water, but it was a way to talk to her about spiritual water. And he said, really, if you, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me to drink from the water that I have, almost as it were offering her his pitcher, his cup of eternal life, his cup of blessing. So we see cup mentioned in this positive light. There's also stories about Joseph and, and his brothers and then the cup of the Pharaoh that played a very significant role. But then there are stories and examples where cup is used to represent not a cup of blessing, but a cup of cursing. A cup filled with wrath, filled with sin, filled with consequences for mistakes. I want to look at a couple of these verses briefly with you this morning. Go to Isaiah chapter 51, verse 17. Isaiah 51, verse 17. The Bible there says, Awake! Awake, rise up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. You who have drained it to its dregs. What are the dregs? That's that gross stuff when you can grape juice. 
at the bottom that you don't really want to drink because you're not sure what it is, even though you canned it yourself. <laughs> or when you buy one of those fruit smoothies at the store, you shake it up first to make sure it all mixes in. But here, this cup of wrath, the people have had to drink the whole thing, even the nasty part at the bottom. And it's interesting looking at this symbol because as you continue on to verse 22, it says this, This is what your sovereign Lord says, your God who defends his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that makes you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. Notice, verse why, uh, notice why in verse 23. I will put it into the hands of your tormentors who said to you, fall prostrate that we may walk over you. And you made your back like the grounds, like a street to be walked over. Here God is saying, yes, my people, you had to suffer punishment for your sins. You drank from the cup of my wrath, but there's coming a time when I'm going to give that cup, take it out of your hands, and it's going to go to the people who persecuted you. They're going to get what is coming to them. Cup of wrath. Go to Psalm 75, verse 8. Psalm 75 and verse 8. David mentions not only the cup of salvation, but he mentions this cup of wrath. Psalm 75, verse 8, it says, In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out in all the wicked of the earth. Drink it down to its very dregs. Once again, the wicked experiencing the judgment, the punishment of God. And as we've discussed, a lot of times that punishment is simply God handing us over to the consequences of our sin. Ultimately, that's going to happen at the last day. But I want to turn to one more verse. Revelation chapter 14. It points towards that end time scenario. When there's really only two groups of people in the very last time. People who are following the Lamb wherever He goes. And people who have received the mark of the beast. Revelation chapter 14. We'll look at verse 10. Revelation 14, verse 10. It says, He too, referring to the people who receive the mark of the beast, will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. This is some pretty sobering passages. But there's a point. And there's really good news. We have the two cups. Cup of God's salvation, cup of God's blessing, or the cup of the wrath of God, the consequences, this eternal separation from God as a result of our sin. So we see these metaphors playing out clearly in Scripture. But I want to go with you back to the Gospels now, Matthew chapter 26. Because here we see cup referenced. And I'll ask you, which cup Jesus is talking about? Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. 
Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, where he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Then he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face down to the ground, and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this what? Cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Could you not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. The Bible says he went away again after going and finding the disciples sleeping, and he prayed this same prayer a third time. And then, as, as Judas and the, the, the betrayer came to him in the garden, and Peter pulls out his sword, and he, he cuts off Malchus's ear, Jesus says to him, don't do this. Should I not drink the cup that the Father has given to me? So what cup is Jesus talking about here? Is it the cup of blessing? Or is it the other cup, the cup of God's wrath? Here in the garden, Jesus was facing this choice. Do I drink this cup filled with the consequences, the separation, the wrath of God, the judgment of God? Do I drink it for humanity? Or do I walk away? And he looked in the bottom of that cup and he saw the dregs. He saw the nastiest part of the nasty part. Your sin and my sin. The separation that it would cause. And Jesus didn't want to drink it. We saw earlier how, how God says, Israel, you've had to drink this cup. You've had to experience some of my judgment. But I'm taking it out of your hands and I'm giving it to your enemies. Here Jesus is saying to the whole world, I'm going to take the cup out of your hands and I'm going to become your enemy by drinking it all. I read some powerful statements describing this scene, catching the imagery. Notice this from Desire of Ages. It says, The powers of good and evil waited to see what answer would come from Christ's thrice-repeated prayer. Angels had longed to bring relief to the divine sufferer, but this might not be. No way of escape was found for the Son of God. In the awful crisis, when everything was at stake, when the mysterious cup trembled in the hand of the sufferer, the heavens opened, a light shone forth amid the stormy dark darkness of the crisis hour, and the mighty angel who stands in God's presence, occupying the position from which Satan fell, came to the side of Christ. The angel came not to take the cup from Christ's hand, but to strengthen him to drink it with the assurance of his Father's love. He had taken the cup of suffering from the lips of guilty man and proposed to drink it himself, and in his place give him the cup of blessing. 
the wrath that would have fallen upon man was now falling upon Christ. It actually comes from the book Amazing Grace. And then this, it says, the destiny of a lost world trembled in the balance, but Jesus decided to drink the bitter cup to the very dregs. It's a powerful image right there. A powerful scene. I thought we could maybe just illustrate this in a very, very slight way before we prepare to go into our communion service. It's good to visually remind ourselves of what this is like on a very, very small scale. This cup represents our life. We start out in this world pretty much empty and clean, fresh slate. But you know how your life is gone, and I know how my life is gone. Life is a dirty thing, isn't it? Sin is a dirty thing. And it doesn't take long before we start making choices in our life that start to pollute what once was pure and clean. And we get just stuff that starts to fill up our life. I don't know whose this is. We make choices that hurt our bodies. Choices that pollute the temple of our body. Just a lot of things that even though we know it'll hurt us, we keep committing the same sins over and over again. See that there? That's from the geese out back. It's true. So is that. We make a lot of choices. And pretty soon our life that once was pure This is lagoon water out back. Do you want to drink this? No. You want to drink this? No, thank you. Okay. Anybody? Want to drink that? You'll take it? <laughs> This is what sin does to us, right? Whether we realize it or not, we've polluted ourselves, and in God's eyes, in the eyes of the law, we've become just like this. And I think on a small scale, very, very small scale, this is what the cup of wrath looks like. As we look into it, we recognize the very things that we've done that have hurt us so much, and have hurt Jesus so much. 
And as Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane looked into the cup of wrath, he saw your sin and he saw my sin. And in that moment, that cup trembled in his hand because he wasn't sure if he could go through with it. He knew he had to drink it, all of it. But praise God, because he drank it, all of a sudden we're given a new choice. The choice is not simply an, uh, an obligation for us to have to drink that cup. Now we're given another one. Another one is, is set on the table and something else is put into the cup. Something that looks a whole lot better. A whole lot cleaner. It's not because we earned it, but it's because Jesus earned it. So communion is really about the choice. As we'll be drinking the cup in a few moments after the foot washing service, it's really a choice. Do you want to drink this or do you want to drink this? Jesus already drank this. So anybody who wants to drink this has the opportunity. If you reject this, this is your option. But I don't know why anybody would want to reject this. This is so much better. What choice do you want to make today? I know what my decision is. In the Adventist Church, we celebrate open communion. Anybody who wants to can participate. You can drink from the cup. Everybody gets their own cup. Everybody gets their own little piece of bread, symbolizing that last supper where Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. Before we do communion, we do something called foot washing, if you're new to this. It's what Jesus did. As you read the story, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He knelt at the feet of Peter, who was about to deny him. He knelt at the feet of Judas, who was going to betray him. And he washed the feet of that person. If you don't feel like participating today, that's fine. You can stay here. Uh, there will be options. I believe the men are in the committee room here. Women are in Bellman Hall. And couples are in the preschool. It's all set up for that. So I want to have a word of prayer before we send you out for this uh, ordinance of humility, washing one another's feet, reminding ourselves of the cleansing power of Jesus' blood and of the humility that he showed. We'll come back together and choose what cup we want to drink from. So let's pray. Dear Father, we just can't even fathom and understand what you did for us. You sent your son that probably was harder for you than going yourself. Lord Jesus, in the garden, you just, you went through with it. You made that decision. You went to the cross and you drank all of the nasty things, the consequences, the sin, the separation, the condemnation. You drank that for us and we say thank you. And so our hearts are just filled with gratitude and 
And today we want to again say yes. We want to follow you. We want to respond. And we pray you'll humble our hearts. If there are things that we have against our, our brothers or sisters here, I pray that we can take the opportunity afforded us uh, to make these things right. To kneel together at the foot of the cross and thank you for the forgiveness and joy you give us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.